Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Today on the show, we're pulling the trigger on a dozen splicers and feeling totally fine. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes behind some of our favorite video games. My name is Leo. My name's Caleb. And I'm Kevin. And today we're talking about Bioshock, but specifically Bioshock Infinite. Yep, and just so everybody knows, I have not played this game. I've only played bits and pieces, so I am still learning about this currently. We had introduced Bioshock 1 in our last episode, which it's a good episode to catch up on to understand kind of the basis of what we're talking about when it comes to the City of Rapture in the original game. But Bioshock Infinite kind of takes an interesting parallel side path and introduces us to a new city instead of an underwater city of Rapture. It's the flying city of Columbia. 10,000 feet. <laughs> 15,000 Hallelujah. I mean, the, the first thing you see when you're playing this game, you're like walking through this beautiful sunny plaza, there are people out, and it's just, it looks like a functioning, lovely little town, like a lovely city. And you're floating through the sky. It was so beautiful, so mythic. Well, when I first, like, because pl- I, I, I have played the intro, and when I first, like, saw the whole city and everything, my initial thought was, oh, man, am I going to protect these people? Like, oh, man, what are, who are the enemies for this? Where are they from? Oh, man, this is going to be crazy. And, and yeah, that that was my first impression of it. And then it goes like that. It's all peaceful for the entire game and nothing happens. You enjoy an ice cream cone. You sit on a bench. It's a lovely game. It's like Animal Crossing. Oh, wait. No, we already did the Stardew Valley episodes. This is Bioshock Infinite. Ah, oh, shit. So, I was trying to get back to what I love. Bioshock Infinite, of course, goes the exact opposite direction of everything falls to shit inside of about 20 minutes. And I think that's the thing we wanted to talk about today because... One of the instrumental differences between how Columbia is first introduced in the game compared to how Rapture is first introduced in the game is important and interesting and worth talking about because Rapture, you're introduced to Andrew Ryan City through the scene of a splicer killing another splicer, immediately turning on you, saying, is it someone new, and then banging on your pod trying to kill you. Right. It's just immediately you're being attacked, you're having to defend yourself, you're trying your best not to die in the survival horror genre. And in Columbia, in Bioshock Infinite, it's completely different. So what this means is the the developer, the person creating those gameplay mechanics that drive the plot forward, they have to justify why you're pulling the trigger. They have to justify 
they have to justify how you're killing these people, whether it's the crazy splicers or the apparently normal people within Colombia. And that's exactly it. Like in Colombia, you get to see how normal the people are. You aren't dropped in front of people trying to murder you. You're dropped in front of a bunch of people praying in a garden. And then you walk around a city for a bit and you see a bunch of citizens talking about their jobs, gossiping about their friends. Like, well, like doing that as the beginning of the game, it really makes you kind of, it's it's like you belong and you, you feel comfortable in the city. You feel comfortable around all these characters. Maybe not, maybe comfortable isn't the word I would use to describe how I felt. Like it's still disconcerting, but you don't feel threatened. I mean, again, like I'm walking through this beautiful sunny plaza it's so lovely it feels very constructed it doesn't quite feel exactly natural and i know later on in the game i'm going to be shooting people and uh sicking crows on people and all sorts of crazy things so the question is like oh my god what's going to happen like what's going to take me from this beautiful point a down to when i'm beating people's heads in with a spinning wrench so the game has about a 30 second period at the beginning of which you're peacefully coexisting with a crowd cheering at a lottery and then about 30 seconds later you are fighting for your life because people are trying to kill you and the game needs to help you find a way to justify pulling the trigger on these citizens who you you know heard gossiping about their jobs seconds earlier how do they do it they introduce cartoonish levels of racism. Um, they make use of the fact that there are certain sins that audiences are unwilling to forgive. Like, audience people, people who observe fiction, surprisingly easy to forgive killing or murder. But they're a lot less willing to forgive racism. You're given a, you're given a seemingly innocuous tennis ball that has a number written on it. And then when your number is called, you're told that your prize is, quote-unquote, first throw. And then the curtains open to reveal a um, black woman and an Asian man tied to a post. <laughs> like, Yeah, it was such a shocking moment. It is a, it is a very shocking moment, but it serves the purpose of making you suddenly hate this festival. It makes you hate this carnival, hate this city. And a few seconds later, when a member of the audience suddenly notices a tattoo on your hand that in the story identifies you as a quote-unquote false shepherd and decides that you they have to kill you and you have to fight in self-defense, you also kind of want them dead. It's incredibly satisfying to be able to kill them because these are the people who are just cheering at what was um, technically a lynching. Like You get first throw, which really... It means that the party starts with you. You are the person who's starting this. This will probably be a public execution of these two people for no other reason than that they are an interracial couple and they don't look like the people around them. And if you haven't played this game, like watch this scene to really get an idea of how over the top it is. Is that not the prettiest young white girl in all of Colombia? <laughs> all right, then. The winner is number 77. Oh, well, what do you know? Number 77, come and claim your prize. First round. It was me, it was all me, please. 
gonna throw it? Or are you taking your coffee black these days? <laughs> and that's, but like, that's what's interesting is despite this, like, the sudden introduction of this theme, like, seemingly out of nowhere, it actually is hardly ever touched upon in any meaningful way as far as the actual discussion of the game's theme, the idea of, like, racial inequity and racial justice. Like, race is a surprisingly absent from the majority of the story, except for to establish Columbia as being racist. Well, and I remember reading an article uh, as an interview with the creator, and he was saying, in his opinion, and I think this is true, I agree with this, shooting adventure games don't need to have an overt kind of artistic declaration to them. They don't have to be standing for something profound. They can just be fun. They can just be, I mean, it's a game. It's a video game. It's a toy. It can be amazing narrative art the way that Bioshock 1 was, but it doesn't have to be. So they use race as a means of justifying this us versus them. We as the players go, well, I'm not this racist. I'm, I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to beat these idiots up, you know, and you you know, throw yourself into battle, you start electrocuting them and shooting them and killing them. I think that it really does introduce as much as um, race in and of itself isn't a discussion um, within the game and isn't a theme of the game, violence very much is. And I think that's one of the most important and I think kind of humanizing elements of this game. Something it didn't have to include but chose to was that idea of the very human character. She is frightened to the point of being terrified of the violence she's witnessing, even from a man who's ostensibly her ally. There's an entire sequence where you have to chase her down because she's running from you because she just saw you kill a room full of people who are trying to kill you. It's a really interesting element to the game, and I think it says, uh, and I think it says so much about the intentionality of the game's design when it comes to how it depicts and reacts to violence. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right on the money, so to speak, saying that violence is a sort of key part of the game. You know, I think violence is sort of omnipresent in a certain genre of video games. But in this game, it uses the lore and it uses the world building to bring violence and specifically death to the forefront. Like there's a character at one point who dies and you're sent to get a, an essential thing from that character. And you, you can't because he's dead. And this really ends up being a sort of hitch in the plan until you remember that Elizabeth, she can jump between timelines. So in that moment, she changes, uh, she changes timelines with you and you find a universe in which that character isn't dead yet, which is interesting because again, that changes what it means to die. It changes the narrative impact of death because no longer is it the case that that gunsmith died and now he's no longer in this world, he's no longer accessible to you. Well, no, he is. You just have to change timelines. And it, and that's the thing. It's another one of the many ways that a game like this um, can and does change the meaning of death in um, in a game. Bioshock One, you're introduced to the world through violence. Violence is the way that you interact with pretty much everyone and anyone in Rapture. I don't know if there's a single character in the game, at least not that I encountered, that isn't carrying a gun, and at some point either you or they are pointing a gun at the other. Like, well, hell, even that, even like to open a safe or like to interact with like any kind of inanimate object, what do you do? You hit it. Like, even that is like... It's true, and that comes into play 
in the conversation he has with Elizabeth where he says his justification is effectively like, what did you think was going to happen with those people who were trying to kill us both? You know, like, did you think that if we didn't do anything, they would just be our friends? He, and his lesson that he kind of outlines, which really comes down to his philosophy as a character, is if you don't draw first, you might not get to draw or you won't get to draw. So it's interesting to see the narrative justifications for murder and how those have to change around plot. But in my opinion, I think Bioshock did it beautifully, did it so, so, so well. They didn't need to put that much effort into building a world that I would populate, right? They don't really need to give me that much of a justification. And yet they did. And they did so well. With Bioshock 1 and 2, it's about survival, right? It's about making it out, making just surviving. Whereas Infinite also kind of, it, it is about surviving, but it's also, it gives that because of all those racist undertones, well, not really undertones, it's just boom, racism. But because of that, it almost makes you as the player I don't want to say want to kill these people, but it kind of gives you like a motivation to kill these people to a degree. Not saying killing people is right or anything like that. I'm I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is like they kind of throw it at you so hard so that you're just like, I screw it. I'm killing this guy. I can't deal with this. I'm just going to kill this guy already. And and I think that's that's what makes Infinite way different than uh, like regular Bioshock 1 and 2. And there are there are moments in the game, and this is also worth discussing, there are moments in Infinite where optional killing people has consequences. One of the early one of the other early scenes in the game, you break into a house, there's a citizen who says, Wait, 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 I'm on your side and if you don't kill them, then they send the police away and they prevent the police from invading your house. But if you kill them on site, then the police immediately break into the house you're in. And you have to fight more enemies because you killed this one ally. Which is pretty interesting, right? The sort of narrative shift that happens when you make that choice that's given to you, right? Like, I know I've played Fallout 4 and Dark Souls, and in especially Dark Souls, you can just kill anybody pretty much. I mean, there are a few people I think that it's harder to, but like there's a whole boss fight that the only way you get to the boss fight is by killing an optional by killing a goddess. So it's interesting in that game, you're given the choice of, do you want to kill anyone? And then if you do, there might be consequences. So here's a question that sort of, I think is going to be interesting. And I want to hear your, your both of your thoughts on this. If there was a multiplayer game, like an online game, like a uh, Fortnite or uh, whatever else kids are playing these days, Roblox, uh, Minecraft. If there was a game, <laughs> a video game, online you're playing with other people and if you killed someone and let's say you can kill people in this game if you killed them it would permanently kick them out of the game forever right like they would no longer ever again to get to play that game uh and, and I, i'm curious to hear what you say kevin would you kill people i mean if it meant permanently ejecting them from this game it's a game though so for me and my mentality i'd be like Look, you little shit, like, I'm going to kill you in this game if you don't cut it out. Like, I don't know. I mean, I literally, as you were asking me this question, my instant thought was going towards Ready Player One. But the instant thought of, like, you literally start from scratch right. in that game. You at least can come back. This, the game you're describing, nah, you done. Bye. 
I'm not going to be a dick about it. I'm not going to... Uh, sure, yeah, like, I'm not going to kill people just to kill them. What about you? I, I wouldn't kill them, but again, the reason I wouldn't kill them comes largely from empathy. I don't. I wouldn't kill them because I want to play this game. And I think the this all does tie back to um, what we were saying about Bioshock, where, like, I, most video games aren't like that. We as gamers understand that. We understand conflict, like, it has to have a me- mechanism for resolution. We understand this game is a test of my aim, therefore I will aim and shoot. And we're used to that disassociation. Um, and I think that's why it's so cool that Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite um use that lore as a way to just further suspend our disbelief and make us like pre- prevent us from disconnecting in that way cuz even then cuz on the one hand we're playing the game but then Booker is still a character ultimately when it comes down to it i think it's the world building it's the lore it's the care and patience that went into building a story that justifies it also we can play as the person behind the mask that is booker do it we can play as this protagonist who does things that we can then feel okay about when we turn off the game because it's been justified within the world well that about wraps it up for this episode we want to thank you for tuning in and being a part of the show be sure to connect with us on twitter at lore underscore party and leave us a review on itunes thanks for listening and we'll see you next time 